I'm pretty impressed. This is a long time. I know, right? Okay, so since 1990 that Rhonda has come to the Philippines in the first time with the campus ministry of Psalm, right? Okay, and has been connected with several aspects of missions and projects ever since. Five years ago, Rhonda joined the CMNA team working in the southern part of the Philippines directly with Muslims. In this work, the Lord used this team in creating relationships and opportunities to train young people in values of peace, using the peace generation materials adapted from the Indonesian group. I am excited today to hear more. We have asked Rhonda to come and share Timber's life together, which we have a slide for. What life together means is lead, lean in, intercede, family, and exalt. So let us actively listen to what the Lord is saying through her story. Holy Spirit, will you highlight how we can intercede for Rhonda and other missions in our city and in our country? And may we always make room for family and timbers, both near and far. And above all else, may you be exalted. Amen. Here you are, Rhonda. Well, thank you. And good morning. Are there any Filipinos? Has anyone ever been to the Philippines? <laughs> no? No? Well, I, like um, <clears throat> was said, I have been there on, the, on and off for the last 30 years. In the last five years, it's been my privilege to get to know some Filipinos I had never even known were there in the southern part. These Filipino Muslims, we can do it on the next slide, um, have been there before the Spanish even colonized the Philippines to call it the Philippines after the the um, Philip, Prince Philip of Spain. So the Muslim people who have been there a long time are the people that I, I get to work with. We've been finding common ground with them working on this um, peace generation material. And this picture's favorite of mine because three of us were born Christian in a Christian home. Three of us were born in a Muslim home, but we found peace together throughout the generations. And uh, that's a, the city that I lived in, <clears throat> excuse me, in the Philippines for about three years. And then after a time, uh, there was some unrest in the, in, the, in the southern part. There actually was a war in Marawi. There were some kidnappings that happened. And uh, because of that, our leadership asked us to move up to, to uh, Manila. The next slide shows our trip from Dipolog City. We travel on overnight boats to Cebu and then through to um, the middle part of the Visayas into Luzon and up to Legaspi and then we drove to Manila. So that was about a five-day trip to get there with my co-worker's car. But that gives you a layout of the Philippines that some of the uh, things that are happening in the, in the southern part in Mindanao, the blue area, have affected the other parts. But in some ways we actually don't even interact with one another because it's so far away. And so my prayer is that we would continue to have Filipinos, especially, loving their neighbors. And that might mean people might have to move so that they have neighbors that they can continue to love that are maybe different than them who still need to hear about the Lord Jesus Christ. There are lots of um, agencies and organizations working among uh, the Filipinos, but uh, the Christian Missionary Alliance Church has intentionally pivoted to having the Filipinos reach the nations from now on. I'm the last Christian Missionary Alliance missionary in the Philippines with the Canadian Alliance. 
Um, my coworker from the U.S. just retired, and so we, uh, my next term that I want to, <clears throat> excuse me, living in Davao City at the southern part, I will be focusing more on training Filipinos and just journeying together how we can love our neighbors that are Muslim and from different tribes and that they can be launched to reaching other people in Asia and the, and the nations so that when they do be deployed, because one of our best exports in the Philippines is actually our people. They're going to nations all around the world as nurses, nannies, seamen, immigrating here, and I'm sure you've seen them here at Tim Hortons or McDonald's or in your hospital and different jobs that they are getting here. And they're wonderful, hospitable people. And they have a winsome way, I believe, of reaching people that maybe some of us might not be able to. So it's a, it's a great opportunity for me to just encourage and blow flame or fan the flame of the, the gospel so that more Filipinos are equipped and prepared and um, having a heart for the people that are in the nations they're going to. The next slide shows uh, some friends of ours. That was my co-workers retirement weekend and some of these ladies have had amazing stories of God coming into their lives through visions and dreams through relationships with people, and they're going back to their own people, their own um, neighborhoods and communities, and being a light to um, their, their loved ones. Uh, it, 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 is not a, it is not a surprise that God is doing some amazing and miraculous things in these days, that uh, people are responding in ways that they might not have been responding before. And they're gathering in places that they might have not have gathered before and homes are becoming churches and gatherings where they can extend the love of Christ to their neighbors. And so I'm so blessed to be able to work with these women. My next assignment, in the next slide, will be to go back to this Bible school as my kind of base. Uh, I was there in February with Carol Ardell, who came and also uh, spoke at a class with me. And we were just encouraging our young people from Filipino backgrounds, from tribal backgrounds, to, to reach out into their neighborhoods, into their churches. So I'll be going to Davao Alliance Bible College as a base, and then hoping to just encourage and fan into flame, like I said, the, the Filipino church. We have the Kamakop, which is the Christian and Missionary Alliance Churches of the Philippines, the acronym that uh, all around the Philippines, there's... there's thousands of churches, about uh, probably a quarter of this size, but they're all over, and so we can uh, allow God to continue to use the, um, the Alliance people and, and people crossing denominations, crossing cultural boundary b barriers and, uh, and religious barriers. So I ask for your prayers. I ask for your um, partnership. Wherever you are, you can be loving your neighbor. I will be in Canada for another several months. I'm here for a, my year home assignment, and I'm just doing a little tour of northern BC, and I'll be going to Okanagan next week and into the Kootenays in November, and then landing in uh, the lower mainland for the rest of the year, in the new year. I um, grew up in um, Kamloops, BC, and then Cranbrook, but it was Prince George that I was visiting as a six-year-old with my family that I asked Jesus to come into my heart. 
just down at the Salvation Army Church. We were visiting there, and some Sunday school teacher challenged us, and it's a special place to journey back to. So thank you so much for your hospitality. May God continue to bless your family. And thank you for your partnership in giving to the Global Advance Fund and helping in any ways that you can to uh, continue God's work around the world. Thanks. I forgot to dismiss the children because I wanted them to hear that awesome story that when they asked Jesus in their heart in Sunday school, Monday you might grow up to be a missionary. <laughs> so Lord Jesus, we bless our children's and our children's worker, and we thank you for all of them, and uh, we thank you that you call us to come to you like little children. So may we be reminded by them and their excitement to come to you as they do. In Jesus' name, amen. It is Elder Sunday, so just so you know, we will have elders share their story instead of our pastor, because he's doing a wedding. And uh, let's help this worship team by joining them in worship, shall we? Well, All right. Thank you, worship team. Yeah, help me thank them. It's not easy coming up here. It's like being on the front lines. And sometimes our hearts are heavy, right? And so we put on the garment of praise this morning. I'd like to welcome up my brother, Greg. He shares his testimony with us. So help me give him a warm welcome as well, please. I, I can't get this any higher. I'm sorry. Sir, do you want me to hold on my head? <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, I'll make do. Okay. Thanks, Arissa. Uh Good morning, everyone. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Greg Wolgar, and I'm currently serving on the Board of Elders. And here's my testimony. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Hopefully you feel the same at the end. All right. Uh, I've shared my testimony a number of times in my life, but my story has gradually changed over the years as my relationship with God has not always been exactly the same. When I was a little guy, I knew about God and heaven. My parents helped us kids learn about prayer, and we went to church regularly. I grew up going to the Anglican church, and so I was baptized as a baby. And when I was about 12, I attended confirmation classes so that I could be confirmed by the bishop. Confirmation was a really big deal for me and my family and still has a special significance to me. It was a time where I had to be more intentional about what, I, what and who I believed in and I was afforded the time and attention by the reverend at my church to ask him big questions and take some purposeful steps on my faith journey as a Christian. <clears throat> Not much changed until I went to the University of Victoria. I spent some time trying to connect with the church family, but I didn't seem to fit in anywhere. And before I knew it, I was completely consumed by school and a new circle of friends. God was with me, but I was not making much of an effort to be with him. I do remember prioritizing praying around exam time, and that was about it. If anyone asked what I believed, I would tell them that I was a Christian, but no one would have known based on the life that I was living at the time. God was in a long-distance relationship for me 
and I was living a life for myself. After my university days in Victoria, I returned to Prince George to start my career as a high school science teacher. I did not attend church again until my wife, Rhea, invited me to her church. It felt good to attend church again. Rhea bought a study Bible for me, and I started getting into the Word. I remember reading one night about Jesus and the crucifixion. In Matthew 27, it says, Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. I was thinking about how those people must have been pretty awful to say something like that to Jesus. And then two, I remember wondering if I lived during that time and I was there when Jesus was being crucified, who would I be? I mentally put myself in this part of history and wondered if I would have been one of his followers or if I would have been caught up by the crowd mocking him. The painful reality is that I didn't know for sure. Any moral high ground that I thought I'd earned in my life by identifying myself as a Christian vaporized in that instant. I had known for a long time that Jesus was crucified for all of our sins, but for some reason it never really occurred to me that it wasn't about me earning or deserving anything. The knowledge of Jesus dying for me had finally made the journey from my head to my heart. What Jesus did on the cross became personal to me and fundamentally changed the way I related with God. I wanted to know more about God and so spent more time reading my Bible and spent more time praying. It is a great comfort to me to know that my God is with me and I can talk to him about anything and at any time. A few years ago, I had a conversation with a colleague about God and he asked why God allows suffering in the world. I hate to admit it, but I was not prepared for this question and felt that I was doing God a disservice with my lack of knowledge and wisdom. I felt the weight of a missed opportunity to share how, God, uh, how good our God is and explain why I felt that way. I did not have a satisfactory answer for him, nor did I have one for myself. I had to wrestle with the question, and I spent a considerable amount of time trying to understand what God was up to in this regard. I remember talking to Rhea about this in the car uh, one day, and my daughter, uh, Claire, who was about six years of age at the time, shared her thoughts on the subject. Some people, like me, have their issues on the outside, where other people can see, but other people have their issues on the inside. Six years old, I was like, what? <laughs> What? Yeah, totally blew me away. It's true that we are all affected to some degree from living in the world as it is. We live in a world where a war is raging all the time and the casualties from the war are real even if we don't realize it at the time. And it's easy to dismiss it when the war is a spiritual one. In the end, I realized that a person's view of God is a function of how well we know who he is. How can you talk about God as being a loving father if you don't know what he's already done to show us how much he loves us? 
How can you trust God if you don't know that he's already proven himself trustworthy 10 times out of 10? Knowing who God is makes the difference between leaning in and depending on God versus hating the God you don't know when terrible things happen in our lives. In either case, the suffering in the world has us in a situation where we have to make a deliberate choice for or against God. In Deuteronomy 8, it says, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you to teach you that man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. When my daughter Claire was about two and a half, and I mention this because she's, she's going to be central here, uh, a, mi a missions opportunity presented itself. Our previous church was partnering with a group of missionaries in Thailand, and the plan was to go and do some construction and electrical work. Um, Rhea and I were asked to lead the team, as we had been to visit these missionaries already and had some experience uh, with traveling around the country for a couple of months then. At the time, Claire's health was not very good. She was having many seizures a day, and the idea of taking her to a foreign country far away from Canadian hospitals was not my idea of a wise decision. While I felt like God was nudging me to go to Thailand with my family, I continued to question the wisdom of going. How could we possibly go? I started entertaining all of my worst fears by randomly spouting questions like, you know, most of the vehicles don't have seatbelts or in the back at all. Will we ever forgive ourselves if she gets hurt in an accident? Or what if she gets some bizarre tropical infection and we need medical care? So I continued torturing myself for several days until one day I had a conversation with a friend on Sunday morning. He asked me things like, if I thought it was God's plan for us to go. I, I admitted that I thought we were supposed to go, but I just didn't see how it was going to work. My friend then asked me if I thought that God was big enough to deal with the challenges in front of us. Yes. <laughs> that, that was the ace. Uh, I remember thinking in that moment that I no longer had a way out of obeying what God was asking us to do. I was going to have to let go of the details and let God set the path for us to follow. Our dear friends Dale and Marlene Broning heard that we were going and volunteered to be part of the team. Uh, Dale was an engineer and Marlene had decided that she wanted to watch Claire as Rhea and I dealt with the day logistics of dealing with the team in Thailand. Things went very well while we were in Thailand, and the end result was that a home was built for a homeless woman, and it was used, to the, and it is used to this very day, as the church for the village. Yeah, it's pretty cool, right? Uh, everyone on the team served in a way that made the whole team function as more than the sum of its parts. God appeared to have a unique plan for each of us based on our gifting and talents. As for Claire, I thought she would have been kind of a team mascot, being two and a half, but I was totally wrong. The missionaries in Thailand had planned to have a baptism one day by the river of the village. 
Many people showed up to the baptism, or many more people showed up to the baptism than were expected. And when they were asked why so many people came, we were told it was because they wanted to see the little girl with the blonde curly hair. Not a, not a thing they, they would have likely have seen before. They listened to one of the missionaries named Louise Sinclair Peters preach about Jesus before the baptism. And some of the people that had only come to see Claire ended up accepting Jesus and were baptized that same day. Okay. I was completely astonished and humbled. I learned a few things that day, one of which is that God desires for us to act obediently and to be open and ready for him to do amazing things. The fact that I did not understand what God was going to do or how he was going to do it should not stop me from getting to a place where I could give God my yes. And in doing so, communicate that I trust him for all things. Currently, we are gearing up to leave for Thailand in July. This time we're planning to go for one year to serve at Grace International School in Chiang Mai, Thailand. Many of the missionary families that serve in Thailand send their children to the school at Grace International and cannot easily do the work that they've been called to do without teachers who are willing to serve as volunteers. We've had many nudgings from God to pursue this plan. The plan has been in the works for several years now, and we've had to make arrangements with our employer and prepare financially to make the trip. Uh, we have applied to Grace, and we are busy filling out paperwork to go to the school. We know God has called us to do this, but all, at this point, we don't even know what teaching positions are available. So what makes us think this is going to happen? Uh, if you'd asked me five years ago, I would have said that this was an impossibility. I had said to Rhea years ago that I didn't think that we could do a missions trip like this because Claire's health simply was not good enough, and I didn't believe that she would be able to get the health care like she could in Canada. And I sprinkled in a number of other reasons for good measure. I was essentially making excuses, but God is so much bigger than my excuses. God asked for my obedience. My thinking changed about five years ago when we made a trip down to BC Children's Hospital for Claire. <clears throat> A Thai doctor was working alongside Claire's neurologist at the time, and over the course of the week, he was able to identify the type of seizures Claire was having. The seizure disorder is very rare, and this knowledge changed the course of treatment that she received. As a result of these new treatments, Claire's seizures stopped completely. Yes. Her recovery in this area is nothing, has been nothing short of miraculous. The fact is, I didn't believe that she had recovered. I didn't believe she had recovered because I was past believing that she was ever going to live without seizures. 
why would I expect God to show up at this point in her life? At our last Board of Elders meeting, we read some scripture that reminded me of this time. It's from John 9. Jesus saw a man who had been blind since birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so the works of God might be displayed in him. At a later appointment in Vancouver, we inquired with Claire's neurologist about the Thai doctor because we wanted to thank him for helping with Claire's health. She told us that he had moved back to Thailand to work as a neurologist there. Where in Thailand? <laughs> Chiang Mai, the same city that we've been called back to. Yeah, I shake my head a lot. Yeah, yeah. It was like God was saying, this is happening. I'll make a way, and all you have to do is say, okay. It's times like this that I get the sense that God is moving in very deli deliberate ways behind, and not so behind the scenes. He's calling us to be his hands and feet, but he wants our yes. He wants her obedience and the trust that comes from having a relationship with him. When I look back on my faith journey with God, I see him being very patient with me as I realize again and again that God is good and has good plans. I'm learning to listen more for his voice and to be ready to act on his prompting. I don't expect to have everything figured out with the how and the why God does everything, and I have my doubts from time to time about this and that. But ultimately, I'm counting on God to be more than enough to make up for my shortcomings. I love God, and I continue to be very thankful for his love and sacrifice for me. Andrew asked me uh, just very briefly to talk about my dream for Timbers. Um, my dream for Timbers is that we would seek God and learn to trust him to lead us to where we should go. God doesn't need excuses. He needs our obedience. I dream that we will become a church led by God to do things that seem way bigger than we can do because we trust that he will use us to do his good works. So thank you. Come on up, Wanda. Sister Wanda. I've been in this church for 21 years, and it's only 22 years old, and I've never been asked to give my testimony before. So there was a lot of nervousness about this, and there are things that people don't know, but um, lots of people do know some of the stuff too. So I just want to 
start by thanking you for your grace over me and that I get to share this with people that love me. So that's good. I'm the oldest of three children in my family. My dad was fourth out of 12 children, raised on the prairies and in Prince George. He had two fathers. The first one abandoned the father, the family of five. Then my grandma married the farmhand and had seven more children. Much poverty and dysfunction, and many of the family turned to alcohol, as my step-grandfather also had. The kids had all worked. They all worked um, as they got old enough to put food on the table. My dad became a logger and worked long hours running his own company eventually. My mom was youngest of three, two older brothers. She was raised in Fort St. James. Her father, my grandfather, traded furs, drove buses, and helped my nana run the family business. He had a lot of challenges himself with alcohol, as did his oldest son. They were successful in business. She operated my nana, a fishing lodge, um, with my uncle in the summers on an island at Stuart Lake, and grandpa ran the bus line between the Ford and Prince George. I was raised by two children of alcoholics who themselves struggled with these ways. I know that there are many people here who have come from families struggling with addictions. I'm just gonna turn this a bit. You understand those people that have experience with that, the manipulation and control, the sadness and confusion, the coping skills developed, etc. Rejection was huge for me. I don't remember that much from my childhood, but I know that in my teens, I remember constant criticism, sarcasm, and belittling. I had a lot of responsibility, and I got blamed if it went wrong. Those are typical things for alcoholic families. I learned to be a perfectionist. If I could get everything right, then maybe things would go well. That became my addiction. Not to mention that I was a byproduct of an unhealthy environment, and so I got some of those things too. When I had just turned 16, I met a handsome boy at school who would one day become my husband. His family were immigrants from Europe. The hospitality and kindness of his family showed, that his family showed me was frankly unbelievable. I thought they were putting on a show, that they were fakes. But after a few visits, I realized they were always like that, and I loved them. Ed and I went to the movies a lot during our high school years. One movie we saw in grade 12 was called Jesus Christ Superstar. He knew everyone in the movie. He knew who the characters were, and he explained them to me. Jesus, Judas, etc. I was amazed. He had gone to church for the first 12 years of his life and then been confirmed at the Lutheran Church. In fact, uh, Kathleen and Bev's, or, uh, Glenn's dad was the pastor at that church at that time. Then they stopped going. They had three more kids, and with six kids, his mom couldn't manage to go. But Ed was a Christian. He knew things about the Bible. I had gone to Sunday school for one summer when I was five. The notion of God was foreign to me. I remember having a little Bible given to me um, from somewhere, and I knew this was a special book. It had tissue-like pages and a photo of Jesus on the front. 
It must have been cameras back then. <laughs> Ed, Ed went off to university after our first year of college and, and actually decided at that time I thought he was going to be a construction worker for the first three years we dated, and um, he decided to go into medicine, which was, I didn't write that in here, but that freaked me out, because I grew up in a blue-collar family, and I didn't know what to do with that. And anyways, I stayed in Prince George to work in a daycare center, and the next year I joined him in Vancouver, and I entered the teaching program at UBC, coming from two different cultures and two very different families often presented many difficulties and misunderstandings in our family. <clears throat> Sorry. After five years of dating, we got married. I decided we would have the wedding in my parents' yard, as I wanted nothing to do with anything churchy or God. Ed was fine with whatever. We lived on love for seven years in Vancouver. We were at one-third of poverty level at our highest point of our income there. We moved to the west end of Vancouver. On our last year there, while Ed did his internship across the street at St. Paul's, we were very excited to find out that I was pregnant. So I knew that if we wanted to be a healthy and good family, we should go to church. In our last year on campus, God had started tugging at my heart. I went back and forth between my Mormon cousins in Victoria and uh, two couples that lived in our building, our apartment building, who said they were born-again Christians. They really seemed to believe in God, and I had a lot of questions, like he was real. So in the west end of Vancouver, we tried two churches. First one was empty. The next one across the street was full. I signed up for the basic Christianity course. On campus, I had been singing and guitar playing Christian folk songs at my friend's church, but I wouldn't go to their services because I didn't believe in that stuff. I just wanted to do the music. I was, but now I was ready. I was like, my family is gonna be perfect. We're not gonna be like the family that I grew up in. One day, my Sunday school teacher at this Baptist church downtown in Vancouver phoned and asked if she and her friend could come and visit me. She was a lovely lady and I said yes. At our apartment, she asked me if I knew if I was going to heaven or not. I said, well, I think so. How, how do you know, she said. And she, I said, because I'm a good person. She explained it to me that Jesus was God and he had come to earth to save us, that he died on the cross so that I could go to heaven if I believed in him and asked him to be the Lord of my life. Then she asked me if I would like to do that, and I froze. This is such a big commitment. I liked what I had learned, but this was a big deal. How could I say no to my Sunday school teacher? So I said, okay. I was scared and worried, and I wondered what I had done. But they helped me through the prayer to ask Jesus to come into my life, and then they went home. All of a sudden, I started reading the Bible my university friends had given me. I remembered being surprised that they blindly believed everything in it. Now I needed to read it. I remember one of the questions I had for them is there's a place in there that says something about praying about demons to get out of there, and I'm like, oh, come on. Of course, if you know me now, that's totally the opposite of how I feel, but 
my, my poor husband didn't know what to do with me. He didn't know what had happened to me. He said, I'm a Christian, but I'm not that kind of Christian. <sighs> a few months later, I miscarried our baby, and my mom died from liver problems due to her struggles with alcohol. Her brother had died three years previously with the same diagnosis. I always felt sad that I wasn't sad that she had died. That was 40 years ago, this September, actually. Um, I, I wasn't sad that she had died. For, for me, it felt like years of blame and condemnation had fallen off of me. It was a relief. It was many years later that God showed me I needed to forgive her, even though she was dead, and get the healing that I so needed in so many ways. This was a long process in my journey, many layers. The first year after I accepted Jesus into my heart was extremely stressful. I had lost my baby, my mom, and almost my marriage. We had moved seven times that year, and every move was while I was pregnant again. When we ended up in Calgary, oh, and I had symptoms of miscarriage again at three months, and I prayed to my new God that, um, that, she would, that she would live, and she did. I didn't end up having a miscarriage. Yeah, so that was my first prayer of, uh, anyways, I'll tell you about that in just a second. Um, we moved to Calgary where Ed was going to do some extra studies in anesthetics, and we were due to have our baby in a few days. She was born three weeks overdue, having undergone many tests and a diagnosis of having no brain. I prayed again with all of my being, and she was born fine. We started going to Foothills Alliance Church, and I ran to, I ran to the Billy Graham conference that was held in Calgary. I wanted to hear the word, and I wanted to accept the Lord again in case it hadn't worked the first time. <laughs> it had been such an awful year, and I had had no support system other than my God, who was very new to me. Five years after I accepted Jesus as my Savior, we were in Kimberley, and I was going to a Baptist church there. We now knew that I was a Christian and Ed was not. <laughs> he had learned the facts about the Bible, but he didn't have a relationship with God. We had three children by now, and they and I prayed for his salvation. We also prayed for Ed's sister, which reminds me of your story this morning. At that time, she had a metastasized cancer, started with her breast cancer. She got it to the lymph nodes, to her neck, and to her brain. And my nephew, who got leukemia for the second time after he was considered cured. Anyways, we prayed, um, we prayed for them. After two years of going to church with no pastor in Kimberley, I decided to go down the street to this Presbyterian church. I was needing some food from God. I was desperately alone and I knew he was my only refuge. This church had been recently affected by the teachings of John Wimber, who ended up starting his own church called The Vineyard. They played worship songs there as well as hymns. Now, I'm really old, so at that time, hymns were the only thing that were played in church. There was no such thing as this. And so this was a huge paradigm shift that John Wimber brought into Christianity, was to play songs that worshiped God 
with rock style of music that spoke to God and from your heart. Not that hymns don't do that, and they're beautiful too, but this was very exciting. I loved it. And this church also had the presence of signs and wonders from God. People were using, they were raising their arms in church and speaking in tongues. I was horrified. <sighs> but I knew God was there, and I had never felt his presence in that way. With mentoring and small group teachings, I learned about the reality of healing prayer. And I guess I had already seen it in my life a few times, but I just didn't understand, hadn't had any teachings, and I didn't understand it. The Lord touched me in a new way, filling me with his spirit, and I got ushered into the healing prayer ministry 35 years ago. I loved and love watching God minister healing to others through prayer. I know that Ed's sister and my nephew's healings were truly miraculous. Their doctors couldn't believe it. They are both still here, and that was 29 years ago. Just saying. <laughs> Um, and I've prayed for many people with fourth-stage cancer before that get better. It's very exciting. God is so amazing. Um, Romans 8.28 says that God will turn all things into good for those who love him. And he was turning my struggles and my challenges and difficulties into things for other people. God even released me after many healing and prayer and deliverance courses in Kimberley and in Prince George to pray for people struggling with alcohol and drugs. And the first time that happened to me was at the Native Friendship Center here. And I just felt his presence flood over me and I got a word that I was to pray for somebody in that room that had difficulties, struggles with alcohol. And I had never been able to face that before. I just ran from anything to do with a lot of drinking. I was not having anything to do with it. And it set me free. I was able to, anyways, that's, I was able to just love on those ones. Um, I've grown immensely as a Christian and have faith that God can move mountains. It has not been without much opposition from the enemy of my soul. God says we are victorious and conquerors because of him. I wouldn't take my change my life for, or trade my life for anything. He has given me many gifts that I love to use to um, let others see and know his glory. He is real and he is awesome. And by the way, my husband accepted the Lord 10 years after I did. So first of all, he was a Christian for 10 years. And then he wasn't, and I was a Christian for 10 years. And then after that, we're both Christians now. So well, that's kind of weird. But we found out you just knowing the facts about God doesn't make you a Christian. <clears throat> God has given each of us gifts to be used by the body of believers. They're not gifts for us, but for each other. We need each other. When our gifts are in operation, we become a complete body. Just as an arm cannot do anything without the hand or the rest of the body, we become a healthy and vibrant church. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 7 to 10 talks about those gifts and how we are all part of that body and why we need each other. Um, some may think that their part is too small to bring to the, to the body, to the table, to bring to part of our church or, or our Christian community. 
but even a toenail is needed to protect the toe. If you don't know what your gifts are, ask God. Think about what you do that brings you great joy and honors him. That might be it. He loves it when we talk and pray to him. He gives us the information and power and authority to do what he has called us to do. He's, he's given me, uh, he's been very generous, and I, when I get to unwrap his presence to me and I get to use them and see his glory, I'm so excited. And I uh, believe that he gave me a gift of healing, and I've gotten to see a lot of people healed. He's also given me a joy of worship. He, I love pastoring over people. I love hearing from God in prophetic ways and in, in, in intercession, and I have been given a great gift of faith. I know that God can do anything and that we can do it with him because all things are possible with him. I have struggled in many ways in my life. In my Christian walk, just alone, being married to a doctor has been very challenging for me. It's been a, a, an alone journey, and um, but God has been good, and he's been there with me always. I've been slandered across the city twice where my church didn't know whether they could trust me anymore or who I was. I've been released from ministry that I felt called to that was regarding healing, and I loved being a part of it, and I loved, being, I loved the people there. I've been betrayed by leadership and others. I've been misinterpreted many times, but... And, and I've gone into a cave. I went into a cave for four years, about three years ago, and I stopped doing the things that I was called to do, that I was supposed to be doing. I couldn't do anything. I remember having somebody here coming up to me and saying, can you pray for me? And I was like, no, I have nothing left. I know I shouldn't have gone into a cave for four years, but I needed to protect myself, and I needed to meet with my God. Personally, I've struggled with low self-esteem and being critical and judgmental of others as a byproduct of what I grew up with. Rejection in my family growing up. I've struggled with condemnation from others and self. I've struggled from rejection in, from my kids, from my friends, and from my husband. Those are all things that I took on. Maybe they didn't do those things, but that's what I was taking on. The good that has come from it is that I have been healed of all of those things too, and I'm still on a journey and I'm still growing. And I still have some of those things try to hit me now and then, but I get to pray for other people that are going through it too now, and I've been given the tools to do that with, and I consider that a huge privilege. I have learned that God always loves me and never leaves me. I love God's word that says to be anxious for nothing and come before him with thanksgiving and to uh, bring our prayers to him. And when we focus on the things that are good and true and pure and holy, he, the God of peace, surrounds us. That's from Philippians 4, 4 to 9. That's one of my favorite verses. God has called me to the hurting. In Isaiah 61, he says, I have anointed you to preach good news to the downcast and brokenhearted and set the captives free. That's my heart. God has called me to care for my city and country and to pray for all things. I have huge faith that God can do anything, and I can do it with him, and so can you. I have been able to go on four international missions to tell people about Jesus. 
He's here for everybody, and we're all on a journey, and we all need each other. I've grown from being an extremely shy and insecure child to a born-again believer with a Jesus that can do anything, and he never leaves me, and he never forsakes me, and he forgives me, and he loves me. I've had 40 years of watching people get healed physically, mentally, and emotionally. I've seen revival where everyone prayed and got healed back in the early 90s. It was so exciting, and I'm trusting it's going to happen again, but I do know that he still does those things, even if it isn't happening all over the place yet. I have led Bible studies in small groups, and I am for the third time on a church board. I have taught Sunday school and elementary school, and I have loved every bit of it. I've had extreme privilege to befriend and care for people on the streets and to have been involved with politicians in civic and provincial and federal governments. I, I care for my country, and I, I get both spectrums, and I love them all. I love those living on the streets, and I love meeting people of all walks of life. I've asked God for his heart to love others with, for his nose to smell them with, for his hands to serve them with and his ears to hear him with, hear them with. God has given me a gift to be able to play music and sing, and I love to worship him with all of my heart, him who is so worthy of my praise. I hesitated to write all this because I don't want anyone to think I'm trying to build myself up, but only to say what my God has done for me and what he can do for you. A hurting girl from a painful background, the things I love to do and my extreme curiosity about the world and all that's in it is not everybody's cup of tea. Do what you love and walk through the doors that he's giving you. God has forgiven me of my many sins, and he continues to do that. And he has loved me beyond measure, even when I didn't know it or deserve it. The greatest commandment, he tells us, is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind, in Matthew 22, 36. And in John 13, 34, he says, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. All men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I want to thank you all for being an important part of this body of Christ. We need each other and we need God. May he be blessed and glorified in seeing his children doing what he called them to do. The main thing he calls us to is to love him and love each other. And I just thank him for that. I think I'm done. Thank <laughs> you.